Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3 and 8 to 16, reading from the New Revised Standard Version. The meaning of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person and this one, as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. Thanks be to God. From Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 40, and again reading from the New Revised Standard Version. A warning against hypocrisy. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. 
like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Thanks be to God. Have you seen on the news uh, that Rochester Cathedral have got this golf course inside? And um, I was watching the local TV news and they interviewed this child of about seven or eight who was in there playing golf, you know. This, this child was amazing. He just... He had this wonderful Cockney accent, and he sounded like one of those kids that you think of in Oliver, you know, going around with Fagin. He had this wonderful Cockney accent. And so they said to him, um, you've come in here to play golf. Are you enjoying it? You, um, would you come in here if the golf wasn't here? And so he says in this wonderful Cockney accent, which I can't do, well, I ain't coming in here to listen to anybody talk. And I thought that that's kind of symptomatic of the difficulty that we're in. There's been quite a lot of controversy about uh, Rochester with people saying, you know, this is a sacred place and other people saying, well, if you get people in, uh, then they're in the building and something, something of it will, will rub off on them. And other people saying, well, look, in medieval times, all sorts of odd things went on in cathedral naves. You know, we've just got a bit precious about it. But it kind of struck me as a bit symptomatic of the difficulty we have in communicating the faith. And one other thing occurred to me about that as well. There's been quite a bit of um, correspondence in um, the Church Times and elsewhere about collective worship in primary schools. And whether, in fact, if you send your child to a community school, not a Church of England school, um, what is the nature of the collective worship which, according to the 1944 Education Act, they have to have every morning? And what the Act says, it must be wholly or mainly of a broadly Christian character. Well, when I was training teachers um, in RE and collective worship, I never had any problem with that because many things are wholly or mainly of a broadly Christian character. Ethical things, moral things... Um, but I was interested because sometimes, I think, we fall into the trap of doing Bible stories with children without thinking about what we're saying. And as I was watching the TV coverage of the efforts to shore up the dam at Whaley Bridge, I thought how weird it would be if you were a child to go to assembly and just get told straight the story of Noah, yes? God sends floods to punish people. And then you watch the TV coverage 
and you see all these people trying to save people from being overwhelmed by water. And I think if I was a child, I would want to be saying, well, did, did, if I'd heard the story with no kind of cultural context to it, I would perhaps want to be saying, well, did all those people in Whaley Bridge sin then? And if they did, why are we trying to stop the water? You see, we have to be so careful about talking about our faith without being unintentionally, I think, hypocritical. What actually are we talking about when we talk about faith? And how are we going to communicate it, particularly when we find ourselves in times which are very difficult? Well, I think this morning's gospel, you see, is perhaps rather uncomfortable because it's saying to us, faith isn't necessarily a matter of talking or reading the text, although that's important because where would we get our inspiration from? But faith is a matter of being and how we actually are. So how do people see us? It's all very well to say we should give up all our goods to the poor. Well, you see, I'm not quite sure. I'm, well, I'm quite sure. I'm not capable of doing that. And I don't suppose many of us, in a sense, are, are we? But it's good that Jesus puts something before us which is a big challenge about the sort of people we are. Because how we communicate our faith in difficult times, I think, will be something to do with the way that we are, of, with our being. Now, people are not going to see Christians giving up all their worldly possessions, are they? It's just not on. It's just not going to happen. So what is it that people are going to see in difficult times that is going to convince them that Jesus has something to say and that Jesus has a message of hope? And it has to be more than just talking. And another thing we've got in the Church of England at the moment is this idea that you have conversations about God. You know, that to stop it just being a Sunday faith, you have conversations about God. Well, you see, this always puzzles me because I'm quite a reserved person. And actually, there's no way I'm going to start having a conversation with somebody about God. It, I just would be so embarrassed. I can do this. I don't mind this. Well, I mean, you're captive, aren't you, really? <laughs> you're, you're not going to rise up and say we're off. I mean, you, you could go. The door's open. But I don't find it very easily to to start these sort of conversations. I mean, when would you have a conversation about God with people without it actually sounding as though you're trying to get at them? Uh, I don't know. This foxes me a bit. And then when I thought about that, and I thought this is because of your reserved temperament, I also thought that most of us, I imagine, have charities that we give to. But actually, nobody outside us and our family would know about those because another trait that we have is we don't want to go around boasting do we you know i give this and i give this and i give this and didn't jesus say somewhere else that when you do give alms you know give them quietly don't do it for show so i'm not really providing you with any answers to my question about faith in difficult times am i i'm just telling you what the difficulties are so i suppose we ought to think about what the gospel says to us about this. Now, 
The reading from Hebrews, which goes back to the story of Abraham, talks about faith and tenacity. It's a question of perseverance. It's a question of hope. It's a question of having the conviction that even though you can't see how things are going to turn out, you somehow have this inner conviction that the Christian faith, uh, inspired by this, these events from the Old Testament, the Christian faith will give you the strength to keep going. And I was thinking that if we are the sort of people who, during the week, go round moaning about everything, which I think is a tray of mine, really. Well, I don't like the way things are turning out. And every time I switch on the television, there's violence. And every time I read the newspaper, and every time you watch the TV news, something worse seems to be happening. If we're the sort of people that, that sort of live in that kind of narrative, then people are not gonna have any hope, are they? Who is going to give people hope if we as Christians are not part of the, of the way that we give people hope. So perhaps one practical thing we could try and do this week is if we are in conversations with people to actually say, well, I don't know how things are going to turn out, but actually my Christian faith from lots of stories that I read and from the life and teachings of Jesus says to me that even though we can't see how things can get better, we believe that they will. And I'm not going to give up. And I'm not going to be a grumbly, grousy person who just reiterates the secular narrative that things are dire. I'm going to say, I think there is a better way of thinking about this. And we do believe that we can change things. And we want to keep saying that to people. So I think that's one thing we can do. The second thing we can do, looking at this morning's gospel, is about security. Security is something that you get that is based on the confidence of what you are putting your faith in. So if we have confidence in the teachings of Jesus and in the, the resurrection as the idea that Jesus' teachings are ultimately always going to be with us and always going to be the way forward, if we have that confidence, then we have security and if we have security, then surely we can hold on to our faith through difficult times because we believe that we have teachings that will ultimately work, even though we can't see it now. And it may be that at the moment things are working in small patches. I think you've probably had a Methodist conference, have you, fairly recently? And we've had a general synod. And you know, the thing that always, always encourages me about General Synod, and I think would encourage all of you about your Methodist conference, is that all over the country, communities of Christians are actually doing hopeful things. It's just that you never read about them, and they don't get any publicity. But we do have confidence in the gospel we have. We have confidence in good news. That's where our treasure is. And isn't it a wonderful thing to have that treasure and don't we want somehow to actually share that with other people and I wonder whether the way that we can do this is not to suddenly start talking to them about God because I don't somehow myself think that works awfully well it might do with some people but perhaps not with lots but to actually 
point out things that are being done because people have this confidence and they have this treasure and say, look, there are communities of hope all over the place. It's just that we don't hear about them. And we feel overwhelmed because we don't hear about them because where do we get our ideas about what's happening in the world off the media? And the media aren't interested, are they? I mean, when did you last read in the Gazette about any of the good things that are happening here? When did you last read in the Gazette about, any, you know, up at St Paul's, we're doing lunches up at um, Spring Lane Community Centre in the summer holidays. Do you read about that? No. And then you might say, well, then surely part of the thing that we can do to show faith in difficult times is to actually try and publicise it a bit more. I mean, the night shelter gets lots of publicity, doesn't it? Uh, that, the paper did that very well. But there are lots of other things that are going on that people don't read about. So I'll go back to my um, Cockney child in Rochester Cathedral. He's not going to go in there to listen to people talking. He's going in there to enjoy himself. And when he's in there, if somewhere around the place are signs of the hope that the Christian congregation in that place has and the good that it's doing outside the walls, then perhaps he might begin to think to himself, I'd like to hear these stories. But when we do tell the stories, to go back to my collective worship analogy, when we do tell the stories, we have to be very careful to think that when these texts were written, culture was different. And the assumptions that people made about the nature of God and how God works in the world were different to the assumptions we might have. And so somehow we've got to tackle that as well. So faith, hope, tenacity, perseverance, security, treasure, and not being afraid to ask the difficult questions of the text from which we get our inspirations. So let's bounce around this week and show people that there is something in the gospel that is a counter-narrative to all the dire things that seem to be happening round about us.